Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 this morning is where we will be spending our time picking up in our series called Church on the Move. Now, you may have already looked and said, Michael, you're covering 41 verses this morning. Pastor Scott leaned over in the middle of the worship set, and he said, we're trying to get done fast for you and get you out here and get going. I promise this morning to you, I will speak as fast as someone from South Georgia can (laughs) if you will listen fast this morning. You know, I truly believe that one of the greatest gifts, one of God's good gifts to us is His Word. And as we spend time each week studying God's Word together, we have confidence that we will grow in our relationship with Him. You know, for us this morning, there is a lot of text. And yet what we know from God's Word is that His Word, as it's proclaimed, His Word, as it's read, is the only thing that He promises will not return void. And so I know this morning that I can say a lot of things, and I could probably not read the entire text, but church, I believe there's power in God's Word. And if you hear nothing that I say this morning, I want you to hear God's Word Read. And so I want you to join me, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and going all the way through verse 41 this morning. Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us To this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my, right, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Pat your neighbor on the back this morning and say, you just heard 41 verses. Amen. Absolutely. That's great. I want us to do a, this morning, walk back through those 41 verses together. I want you to see the birth of the church here in Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at what that looks like, especially for us as a church. We owe everything to this early church, to this early group of believers who believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah that came to this earth, that died for their sins, that was buried, and that rose again. They believed that, and they proclaimed that so that the world was turned upside down. It began right here in Acts chapter 2. As you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. This is what will frame our time together. The birth of the early church began first with a powerful move of God. It began with a powerful move of God. We see that in verses 1 through 13, the day of Pentecost. Luke tells us has arrived. Don't forget where we are in the chapter this morning as Jesus' disciples in chapter 1 had gathered together with him. They were expecting him to set up rule and reign politically at that point in time on the earth. And Jesus said to them, I'm leaving But I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit has come because the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to fulfill the great commission that is to make disciples of all nations. You wait until the Holy Spirit has come. And so they are gathered together, this early group of believers, these Jesus followers. It was the day of Pentecost. They were celebrating as Jews the Feast of Weeks that was following the Passover. They were celebrating God's first fruits, God's faithfulness to His people throughout the generations. Primarily focused at this point in time, they were remembering that God had spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai and had given His law and had made a covenant with Moses that He would bless His people if they would walk in obedience to Him. And so in this moment, they are gathered together. They are reflecting on that reality as they are there in Jerusalem. And something happens in verse 2. It says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the pictures that God is working and is moving and His presence is there is often in this same way, a mighty rushing wind. But not only that, as we see here, not only was there a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now that's a little bit different, isn't it? 
And yet, when we look through the Old Testament, we recognize that oftentimes God's presence as God is speaking to His people is done through fire. God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. God led His people, Israel, out of Egypt at night in a burning cloud of fire that we see God's presence on display oftentimes in a way that is very much picturesque to this that we see in the first part of Acts chapter 2. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, divided tongues as fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. This should for you, if you remember that Luke is the one who is writing this account of the early church beginning to transform the world. Luke's gospel in chapter 3, what we see there is that this very much mirrors also Jesus beginning his earthly ministry as he's baptized by John, that the heavens open, that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and the Father speaks and says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That inaugurates Jesus' ministry here. We see something very similar that inaugurates the beginning of the church going out into the world. So what's the result here of this mighty rushing wind, this divided tongues as a fire that appeared and rested on each one of them? Verse 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to follow up in verse 5, because I want you to notice the context of how this is all playing out. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Pause there and just remind yourselves of what Jesus had told to his disciples, that they were to make disciples of all nations. So here, these nations are gathered together in Jerusalem. They're devout Jews. They are celebrating with the rest of the Jews the Feast of Weeks here. They hear the sound in verse 6. Somehow they got word out that something was going on in this home where the disciples were gathered. They didn't have PPN on Facebook. Some of you need to get off there. Let's just be honest, right? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just consider yourself blessed this morning. Word traveled that something was going on where these gathered disciples were in the upper room. They came together, this crowd of Jews from every nation under heaven. They were bewildered Because each one was hearing them, that's the disciples that were gathered, speak in his own language. So they were gathered together. There was a mighty rushing wind. There were tongues of divided fire. They know something is going on in this location. Let's gather together and figure out what in the world is going on. We heard a boom. We got to show up and see what's happening. And they show up, these Jews from all nations under heaven, and they hear the disciples speaking to them in their own language. Here's why that's important. I love this. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, 
are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Read between the lines. Jesus' disciples were untrained, uneducated rednecks. I don't know if you've heard the joke or not that what do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks one language? An American, right? (laughs) A Galilean. They're not supposed to know any other languages. And so they look and they hear that they are speaking to them in their own languages. And they say, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The description beginning in verse 9 is all of the groups of Jews that are gathered together from every nation. It's detailed out there and they are hearing these disciples speak the truth to them in their own language. This is not something that they could do on their own power, on their own authority. This is a direct result of the Holy Spirit of God enabling them to do this. Now, I want you to take note that the only other time we see this take place in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, in that moment, we see very similar situation take place. And at that point in time, there are Jewish people who have shared the gospel with Gentiles and are wondering whether or not the Gentiles can actually be saved. Like, can they trust in Jesus like we have trusted in Jesus? And a powerful move of God once again happens in that moment to declare and to validate the reality that both Jew and Gentile can be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they look and they are wondering, what in the world is going on? They are hearing them tell in Their own tongues, the mighty works of God. Verse 12, all were amazed and were perplexed and were saying to one another, what does this mean? What is going on here? And then you have the keyboard warriors. Verse 13, others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. These disciples are drunk. That's what's going on. So you've got either there's a powerful move of God or they're drunk. One of the two, right? Like those are the two extremes that are detailed out. So not only do we see the birth of the church begin with a powerful move of God, I want you to notice where it goes from here because it goes from a powerful move of God what we just witnessed here the first part of Acts chapter 2 to a clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ notice here what Peter begins to say in verse 14 I will make note that Peter is about to preach a message Don't take note of how short it is, church. Amen? 
It's not super long, but it is packed with the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done and what He desires to do in the lives of the people who are witnessing this powerful move of God. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. It's the same Peter who had denied, he had denied Jesus. When he was asked, as Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, do you know him? Three times he said, no, I, I don't know the man. I don't know who he is. But it is Peter who proclaims here the gospel of Jesus Christ. He stood and he addressed them and said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose. He's like, let's just put that to a rest. They're not drunk. Notice his response, because it's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m., guys. They're not drunk. But this, what just transpired in Acts chapter 2, this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he gives here this prophecy that Joel had unleashed. I want you to notice something that it's important here for this connection to be made where Peter goes and he looks back at the prophets because if you remember that at the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, we have about 400 years of what is perceived as silence from God where there is no prophet, where we hear nothing being said from the Lord to His people. It's almost a, a wandering season until we encounter John the Baptist and his preparation for Jesus' ministry. And so now, this once again would have been a picture. The Jewish people would have looked and said, it's been silent. We have not heard from the Lord, but now we have seen. Now we have heard from the Lord. And that is what Peter is doing for them. He's saying to them, remember the God who has spoken and remember what He has said. In the last days, God declares, I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day, it shall come to pass. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He continues his sermon to them, his proclamation of the gospel. And I want you to notice what Peter includes here. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, this man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He says, listen, this Jesus, God sent him. We have seen these miraculous signs that are recorded in the Gospels for us to know that Jesus was sent by the Father, the very Son of God. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to this. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
Now, if that was the end of the story, then we wouldn't be gathered here today. But that's not the end of the story. He continues on in verse 24. He said, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus came to this earth, the very Son of God, both God and man. The God-man, the incarnation of Christ, Christ with us. Came to this earth and He lived a perfectly sinless life. He took your sin and He took my sin on the cross. He paid for our sins there. And as Peter says, not He didn't stay in the grave. But God raised Him from the grave, loosening the pangs of death. He continues on. He says, David says concerning him, again, pulling back to the Old Testament and looking and saying, this was told to us. This is the truth. This is the connection between God's covenant with his people and the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. He said, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. The promise that God had made to David is that he would put a descendant on David's throne that would live forever, that would reign forever. And he says to his fellow Jews, it wasn't David because he died and he's still in the grave. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, that's David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's what just happened in the first part of Acts chapter 2. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says, the Lord said to my, right hand, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So this powerful move of God that happens in the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2, Peter for us in these verses that we've just looked at, proclaims the truth of who Jesus Christ is to his fellow Jews. He says, listen, Jesus Christ was crucified. 
for your sins and for my sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He is the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised to send to his people to save them from their sins. I want you to note something with me this morning. A powerful move of God is always, if it's authentic, followed by a clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we see here. That's what we see Peter proclaiming to them. He said, get wrapped up, not in what happened there. Get wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. Get wrapped up in the reality of what Christ has done for you because what happened in verses 1 through 13 is just the exclamation point to show that what Christ has done is real and it's what you desperately need, a relationship with Him. So the birth of the church begins with a powerful move of God. And we see it follows with a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice how it concludes. It concludes with public repentance and confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 37. When they heard this, what is the this that they heard? They heard a clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ came to this earth to save them from their sins. They were paid for on the cross. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Clear proclamation of the gospel. That is what they hear. And they were cut to the heart. We talked about the very first week as we talked about waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. We desperately need the work of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit of God that brings conviction of sin in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit of God that works as we hear the truth of God proclaimed. It is the Holy Spirit that is knocking at our heart's door and saying, will you respond to the truth of God's Word? Here. We see it happen. The truth is proclaimed after a powerful move of God. And they ask a simple question. What do we do? What do we do? We hear what you're saying. We've seen God move. How do we respond? How do we act on this? Any sermon that doesn't have points of application for us to act on it in the power of the Holy Spirit is just information. It doesn't lead to transformation. But here, they want to know, how does my life transform as a result of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? For you, that may be your question this morning. You may have come in to church today. Someone may have invited you. You may have just stumbled in. And you're wondering what we're all about. You're wondering what the focus is here. You're wondering what are we going to hold up as primary and important. And I hope you've heard this morning. Our main objective is for you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's our heart's desire. 
And we can't manufacture that. We can't make you do that. We can't cause you to take that step. But we can faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and hold up Jesus for you to look. And I hope this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never taken that step of trusting Him as your Lord and Savior, that your question today would be their question. What do I do? How do I respond, Michael, to what you've just outlined for us? I want you to notice Peter's response to them. Peter said in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word repent's not a word that we like to use, Right? There's nothing wrong with us, and yet the truth of the Scriptures remind us that we are all born in sin, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Repentance is doing a 180. It's saying, I cannot save myself on my own. I need someone's help. And I'm going to turn from trying to do it on my own, and I'm going to trust that Jesus Christ has done it for me. And I place my faith and trust in Him to save me from my sins. You notice there that salvation, repentance is followed by baptism. That's important because for these early believers that we'll find out, there's 3,000 who respond to the gospel and trust Jesus Christ for salvation. For them to take the step of baptism, which is a public declaration of what Christ has done inwardly in us as believers. They were identifying themselves with Jesus Christ, willing to pay the price, whatever it cost, to be followers of Jesus. This was not just some emotional response Peter said to them, repent, turn from your sin, trust Jesus, and then publicly declare it to all who are watching that you are a follower of Jesus, whatever it cost. And then he promises to them that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, our promise given to us as the Spirit of God comes and indwells the life of every single believer, enabling us to live out the Christian life that God has called us to live out. He says in verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Peter says, it's for you. It's also for your children. And it's also for everyone who is far from God who doesn't have a relationship with Him. That means everybody. Every single person needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to be forgiven of their sins. They need to publicly identify that they are following Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God indwells them as believers. You know, church, that is our message. That is what we trumpet. We have nothing 
better to offer this world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest message, the greatest hope, the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. For us as believers who have received it, it's for our children, it's for our coworker, it's for our neighbor, it's for our family member. It's for every single person that we interact with in this community, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, on the ball field, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are far from God. This message of the gospel is for them. Verse 40, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church was birthed after a powerful move of God, a clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and public repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it happened. You know, the truth is for us today, that's how the church continues to flourish as well. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforming lives. And so I'd ask you this morning, have you ever responded by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? Have you ever taken the step of trusting Him to forgive you of your sins to make you in right relationship with the Father. If you've not taken that step this morning, that's why you're here today, I'm confident. You are here today. You have heard this message proclaimed. The same message that was proclaimed when the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. And you have the same opportunity to respond in repentance of your sin this morning. Faith in Jesus Christ to save you. Church, this is our message. This is what God has called us to proclaim in this community and around the world. There's nothing better that we can do than to be faithful witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms lives. And so I'm confident this morning that If you're a follower of Jesus, there's someone in your life. There's someone that you work with. There's someone that you go to school with. There's a family member. There's a neighbor who is far from God. And God has placed you in their life to proclaim to them the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what He can do to transform their lives. And you have an opportunity as we leave out this morning to commit this week to share the hope that can be found in Jesus with them. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Close your eyes. Our worship team will come up and we'll have an opportunity to respond this morning. As I said earlier, you may be here today and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
And for you this morning, the Holy Spirit of God has been knocking at your heart's door and saying to you, you desperately need to be saved from your sins and to have a right relationship with God. And this morning, you have an opportunity to simply respond to the gospel message that's been proclaimed, to turn from your sin and to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a heart decision. That's a decision between you and the Lord this morning. And there's no magic formula or magic prayer that you have to pray, but you have the opportunity this morning to just say to the Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and He took my sin on the cross and paid that debt that I owe. And I know that He was raised from the dead. And He offers salvation to me. I receive that gift this morning. I trust Jesus for salvation. I'd encourage you to do that if you've never done that. And if you do take that step this morning, I'd love to hear from you as you head out today. Or you can fill out a connection card and drop that at the Next Steps table and love to follow up with you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. If you're a believer here this morning, I want to ask you to do something for me today. Would you commit to me and before the Lord this morning that as you have opportunities, doors that open for you, in your family, in your job, in your neighborhood, on the ball team, where the door opens to share the hope that you found in Jesus. Would you commit this morning to do that at some point this week with some person who is far from God who needs to hear that there's hope, that there's salvation available for them? Maybe for you this morning, You've heard about the way the church started, and you're looking for a church to plug into. You're wanting to lock arms with other believers, and you feel like this North River is where you're supposed to be, where you're supposed to plant roots and lock arms with the rest of us and share the hope that we found in Jesus Christ with this community and the world. And I'd love for you to take the step of joining North River Church as your church home. You can do that responding this morning by heading down taking our Discover North River class immediately following the service this morning. Love to share with you more of who we are and what God's called us to do in this community. But if you're looking for a place to plug in and to belong North River is a great place to do that. Father we ask this morning that you would continue to work through your spirit in our lives you would continue to apply the truth of your word, that you would continue to convict of sin, that you would continue to point us to the hope of the gospel. Would you help those who are far from you to respond by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation this morning? Would you help the believer boldly proclaim the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in their life? Would you continue to grow North River Church? 
on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transformed lives. We ask that in his name.